Praise God, praise God. I love the music. Thank you, Jack. Thanks, Jackie. Appreciate it. So Jesus didn't take that course by Carmichael on how to influence people. He, he, he must not have taken it because here in John that we're going to look at today, John 15, 1 through um, 7, uh, I think I got it up there, 7. Um, you know, he's been in the upper room. If you look at John chapter 14, he's been in the upper room. They've done everything in the upper room. And finally at the end of chapter 14, he says, come on, let's get up and get out of here. You know, and, um, and he walks out of there. And when he's walking out, um, we don't know for sure, but somewhere or another, he's walking to Gethsemane. Okay? All before the craziness happens is where we're at. And he walks over to Gethsemane, and to do that, he has to walk through the Kidron Valley. Now, most people think that Jesus walked by some vineyards at that point. And probably as he did all along his ministry, said, oh, here's a good illustration. And he said a very simple thing. He said, I am the vine. Now, uh, his disciples, the 11 of them that were following with him, his disciples probably thought, oh, I can see Peter saying, oh boy, I wish you wouldn't have said that. Literally, it's just, do you understand? I am the vine. That's a simple thing for us, isn't it? That Jesus says, I ego me. I am the vine. But it had such an impact on everybody that was around him. It it was was like me saying that everything that we're doing is because of me. Ego me. So stupid, isn't it? To even think that. And Jesus says, oh, by the way, guys, it's just a little thing. I am the vine. Now, you have to go back to Isaiah chapter 5 and read what the vine is. And you find out that the vine is nothing more than the chosen people, Israel. Always have been, always will be. The chosen people are the vine. And God is the, the gardener. And Jesus says, I am the vine. He's, he literally says, as he's going along, he says, you've been mistaken. I'm the one that connects you to God. I, he says, I'm the one who can get you to do um, the right thing. It's through me. I am the vine, not you, Israel, and everybody around him. You know, he's already in trouble anyways. But everybody around him says, oh my, here's another one we can get him for. He just made a simple statement to us, didn't it? Isn't that a lovely statement? That he says, and in this next day, eight verses, seven verses, he uses words like abide, apart, and, and ask, and has powerful meaning behind all of them. Here he says to us, I am the vine, and I want to focus in on that a little bit this morning, okay? So um, um, let's read that scripture together. Jesus, and I'm going to read it to you from the message because I like the way Eugene Peterson starts out right away. Um, He says, I am the real vine, and my father is the farmer. He cuts off every branch of me that doesn't bear um, grapes, and every branch that is grape-bearing, he prunes back so it will 
um, bear even more. Uh, let me stop right there. Go, b- go back to that one, will you, Fred? Can you go back? Let me, let me, I, I thought about this this morning, and I should have put it in the message, but I didn't. But I thought about this. He cuts off every branch. God is that pruner, you know, and, and, um, and we're saying, what do you mean he cuts off every branch? Um, he cuts off every branch that's not in him. Let me try to explain that to you. Back in the 1800s, there was this, this um, uh, robber. He was very good at what he did. A single person would come across the Rio Grande into Texas and rob all these banks. And they could never catch him. They could never catch him uh, doing it because he would run scamper right back into Mexico. And they would never be able to get a hold of him. So, so they put a whole troop of... Um, I don't know how many people that would be of Texas Rangers just to guard the border for when he robbed the place they could see him going across and they would put him in different places along the river so that where they thought he would go across okay and um, one day sure enough he robbed a bank and there was a lone Texas Ranger saw him go across and he thought boy I better go get everybody and then he thought about it a little bit more and he said oh I better not go get anybody and he'll get away so he followed him discreetly you know back a ways and he got there to him and, and um, found him in this cantina, cantina in the town that he lived in. So he walked in. He walked in and, and had his gun ready and everything and pointed his gun right at this guy's head. And he said, if you don't tell me where, where all the money is from these banks you've stolen, I'm going to shoot you right now. Makes sense, doesn't it? Back in the 1800s, they probably did that. <laughs> well, one of the locals came up to him and said, uh, sir, he doesn't understand a word of English. Do you want me to translate for you? And I'll do that for you if you tell me what you just said to him. So he t- repeated it. He said, tell this guy I'm going to shoot him and kill him right now unless he gives me all the money back. So the robber tells the guy that if you go into the well outside of town, go down to the bottom well, the fifth brick up, you should um, find this loose if, you had, if you're looking directly north. And so if you open that brick, that brick up, you'll find all the money's in there. So the... The guy that was translating looked at the Texas Ranger and he says, he says the, the robber says that he's ready to die. Go ahead and shoot me. <laughs> Don't you like that? I love that. You see, everybody's not as friendly as we think they are, don't we? That's the way it is with God's, God. He says, you know, those that... Uh, one point he says, you know, there'll be people who say, Lord, Lord, and I'll say, ooh, I don't know who that is speaking. You know what I mean? But we were on every committee. We did everything we were supposed to do in church. We, did, you know, we came every Sunday. We opened the doors. We did this. We did that. And Jesus says, those are the people that the Lord prunes. We don't want to be that person, do we? Anybody? I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be pruned off. I don't want to be cut back. I want to be in Christ touching it. We'll get more into that as we go along. Okay, Fred. Sorry about that. That was just, that was free. Uh, and he says to us, you are already pruned back by the message that I have spoken, Jesus says. Live in me, make your home in me, just as I do in you. In the same way that a branch, um, boy, I can't see that. In a branch uh, <laughs> can't bear gro- grapes um, by itself, but only by being joined to the vine. You can't bear fruit unless you are joined with it. My goodness. I am the vine, he says again. 
you are the branches. When you're joined with me and I with you, the relation is intimate and organic. The harvest is sure to be abundant. Praise God. Listen to this. Listen to this. Apart from me, separated, you can't produce a thing. Anyone who separates from me is deadwood, gathered up and thrown on the bonfire. But if you make yourselves at home with me, isn't that great? If you make yourselves at home with me, and my words are at home in you, you can be sure that whatever you ask will be listened to and acted upon. Praise God. This is the word of God for all of his people. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Praise God. Um, I want to talk about those three words in a, bound, in a, a roundabout way, abide, um, um, apart, and ask. I want to just share with you just some thoughts on those three words. Actually, it's just going to be a, on a focus on abide the most. Um, abiding goes, goes something like this. Abiding is like being in the zone. Do you know what I mean when you're talking about being in the zone? Um, sports people, I think sports people do that. Um, Curry for, for that team out west, uh, is that his name, Curry? He seems to be in the zone a lot, doesn't he? Big score, um, big time. James is always talking about being in the zone. Um, golfers talk about being in the zone. Um, and the, rezone, the being in the zone refers to nothing more than when everything seems to be clicking just right. You know, um, you know, some farmers talk about being in the zone as they're thinking right now about getting all their crops in and getting everything done. Um, it's when everything seems to be going just right. When it comes to the Christian life, being in the zone is walking in faith. Being in that zone is living in obedience. Being in that zone is um, seeing God do powerful things in our lives. Um, being in that zone is, is what we call experiencing that joy of our heart. Um, even though everything around us is going crazy, Jesus says, if you want to be in this zone, abide in me and I will abide in you. Oh my. I, I love that. Um, he says, I am the vine, so you have to if you are the vine and you're part of me, you've got to stay with me. You've got to abide in me. You've got to remain. Remain in me is the key that we want to hear there. Um, abiding in Jesus means so much more than you and I can think. It means, it means every aspect of our lives is um, God-centered, God-produced. Our problem is, is and, and see if you're like me, many days, I get up and I have so many things. When I, my feet hit the floor, I have so many things that I want to do before I take the next step. You know what I mean? We get up and we're flying. We get up and we've got to go do this and we've got to go do that. And then the whole time we forgot, oh, Lord, by the way, can you come with me? Because we just don't take the time to understand that he wants to come with us. 
And I think abiding in him is not something that just happens. It's something that you and I have to learn. To abide in the vine means we're attached to the vine and we're more than just attached. We're part of the vine. We're um, productive. We're there. I don't know if you've noticed it or not, but I even, I even bought, um, um, in this class that I'm taking online, I bought three books on worshiping God, and two of them were about Celtic Christianity. Back in the, in the 1600s, um, there was this Celtic group that um, lived on an island over there, and um, they, they were just um, nothing more than farmers, and their whole day was, was consumed in, in, in being that farmer. Um, and they didn't have time, it seemed like, to, um, to worship God in ways that they wanted to. So they, they made up all these things that they could do, not the rules that they had to follow, but if you wanted to. For example, every morning they got up and they washed their face with three, glass, three handfuls of water because water was something you brought in so you didn't waste it, you know. And so in the first handful of water, they said, um, as they splashed it on the fa- their face, they said, this is the palm of the God of life. And then the next one would be, this is the palm of Christ of life. And then the next one would be, this is the palm of the spirit of peace. And then they would wipe their face off saying, thank you, holy trinity of grace. <laughs> Just washing your face became a spiritual thing. Putting their clothes on. Putting their clothes on the little kid uh, uh, would say as they're putting their clothes on, even as I clothe my body with everything that I need, here's the second part, cover thou my soul with the shadow of thy wing. So putting on their clothes was a time of thanking God, of saying, come and be with me. Everything that they did was offered in the name of God. I'm sure they had something to do with their, their oxen and their, and their plow and everything like that. When was the last time we did something like that? Never. Honestly, I can probably speak for all of us. None of us have ever said, God, thanks for letting me wash my face this morning. If, I, if you did, forgive me for saying that. None of us have ever taken time to literally abide in Christ that way. Everything that we do, everything that we respond to, should be and ought to be um, because we're abiding in Christ. I had, I had this uh, dear friend, Phyllis and I have this dear friend, and she was um, a volleyball coach. And so at uh, Medina High School, um, they wanted um, this extra group, this group to meet outside of the school to practice and play in, um, in tournaments in, in Medina, but they needed, um, they needed more. So this girl was a graduate of Medina and, and was a very good volleyball player. Her name, her name had, her Facebook name had something about volleyball in it. I don't know, her email. But anyways, she said to me one day, she said, you know, this is, I, I, I'm not getting paid for this, but this is a terrible job because these girls all came with attitudes. Nah. Uh, nah. Because they were chosen, first of all, they were chosen to come and have this extra um, bit of, of, um, of intense practice. And so they would come, I think it was every night, wasn't it? Um, between, I think it was Monday through Thursday they would come because they had things to do on the weekend and practice and everything. And she did this for several years. And one day she came to me and she said the same thing. 
boy, these girls have such an attitude, you know. And, and, and she said, I'm dealing with it, but it's so hard. It's such a hard job. And so I looked at her and I said, well, honey, I think that's, there's a problem. And it's not the girls. And she looked at me and said, what? I said, I think it's you. And she said, what do you mean? And I said, well, it's not a job. Now, let me tell you what had happened in those years that she was coaching these girls. She got them to every time they would uh, meet together to do a game that they would pause and ask God to be with both teams. And they would pray. She was a, she was a Baptist. Okay? A very active Baptist. And, um, and she prayed with these girls. And over the years that we were together, four of those girls invited Christ into their life and became Christians and started and probably still were in church someplace all these years later I would pray. And I said to her, I said, this is not a job. This is a ministry. You're doing a ministry for all these girls. Four of them happened to respond. And I think there was, I don't think there was quite 15. There might have been 14. But I said, that's quite a, a, a good, good turnout that you've got that God has used you to do in this. And she said, she said, you mean it's not a job? I said, no, honey, you're more, it's much more than a job because if it was a job, you'd have quit a long time ago. And she looked at me. She said, yeah, I'd have quit the second day. I said, see, it's not a job. It's not been a job. It never will be a job for you. Now, for somebody else, it's a job. But for you, you saw it as a vehicle to help share God's word with all these girls, all their families. Um, she took all the girls to church, asked their families if it was okay, asked their mom and dad. And, the, and the, the key was anybody that wanted to go. And they all turned up Sunday after Sunday um, going to church with her. Can you imagine? It wasn't a job, was it? That's what God, that's what abiding in God, living, living in the zone is all about. Everything that we do, we think it's just throwing a ball out to a kid and say, here, hit this. No, it's being in Christ and saying, here, here, Christ wants you to do the best you can do. And that's what she preached to him. Just do the best you can do. Who cares if you win? Who cares if you win? We're doing the best we can do for Christ and being a witness of his grace and his love. And let me tell you, they paid for it. They prayed for it. Uh, some places they went in, they couldn't pray out on the, on the volleyball court. They had to pray in the bathroom. And they were told that right away because they knew that she was going to have them pray. Can you imagine? Praise God, I'll go pray in the bathroom. Amen? Very good. Well, dear, I'm going to tell you, friends, what we do is not a job. Even whatever job you have, if you're a Christian, it's, a, it's more ministry. Sure, you might get paid for it. But if you focus in on it, it's the ministry that God has for you. Pam, Stacy, um, all the church secretaries, the new girl at the conference, what's her name, Pat? Patty. Um, if they think that's a job, um, they probably need to quit because you're not getting paid enough at all for what you, I shouldn't say that, shall I? <laughs> for the things that they endure, it's got to be ministry, doesn't it? Are you all with me? All right, that's the introduction. Uh, just sit back. We're in just about an hour out. I'll make it fast, I promise. Let me give you three things, as what God has put on my heart, to help us understand what abiding in Christ means. If we seek to abide in Christ, it's something that we have to do, that living in that zone is something we have to practice, something we have to get good at, 
then I think when that happens, you'll start to see your life will become more productive. You have to look at in verse 5, um, if you have your Bibles with you. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, are going to bear much fruit. I, I just think that's just, um, just insane. Um, uh, that we would think that we could bear fruit for Christ, and which we should do every day of our lives. That tennis or volleyball player, four people, that's bearing fruit. And who knows of all the other lives that she touched and changed because of that, that simple pro- process of going and saying, this is a Christ-centered thing that I'm doing. It's not a job. It's a ministry. And things changed even after that when she told him that. I think Christ here is talking about who bears much fruit is the fruit of our labors. He's saying that whatever you do, if you do it because of me, because you abide in me, it's going to get going to bear fruit beyond our understanding. Probably one of the um, greatest people we know is Oral Hershiser. He's a baseball player, right? It was in 19, I think 1988 when I, re- I was reading this story. It's in um, Guidepost. And um, he was talking, um, they were talking about, I think they were going for the World Series or something, you know, some big games. Anyways, Hershire was pitching one day and the cameras kept going to him in between the innings. And it, they said it's like Hershire isn't even concerned about the game. He had his head laid back on a, on a pillow and his eyes were shut. Every inning, every inning of that World Series um, thing that he was pitching in, it wasn't he was just waiting there. He was pitching in and they showed him every inning with his eyes back on his head on a, on a pillow and, and like he was out of the game. Like he was out of the game. And um, uh, they won the World Series, I guess. And Johnny Carson had him on the show so shortly after that. And so they showed the highlights of, of him in, in between innings. And Johnny said, what are you doing there? You know what Hershire said to him? Without even thinking about it, he says, well, if you really want to know, I was praying. Every inning I would pray, God, help this team, help both teams. He said, I didn't pray for our team. I, I, he said, I just was praying that we would... Have, I mean, here's a guy who is getting paid millions of dollars to produce, you know what I mean? To produce um, strikeouts, right? To produce these things. And in between innings, what's he doing? He's praying. He said, I don't rely on just my arm. I don't rely just on my ability. He looked at Johnny Carson and said... I rely on my relationship with God. And as a result, what people found out is he didn't have a job pitching. He had a ministry in that team. When we abide in Christ, we put ourselves in a position that God is able to bless us. And I think that's what he did. Isn't it? Uh, I, I think I told you the story of, of that first time a guy walked up the 40 feet to get to my crane because he had a concern. And why did he walk the 40 feet? It was simply because he knew he was going to go up and hopefully talk to somebody who cared. Amen? That's what God will do. That's what God will do when he says you will have that fruit. Now the fruit that I, I often think of is in Galatians chapter 5 verse 20 through 22 and I think that Jesus might be talking about that. 
also that our fruit will become stronger and stronger. I know because of the Holy Spirit, because of you, but because mostly of Phyllis Ann, my love has gotten much better. I've learned to love people. I can actually touch people today. You don't know how important that is. Um, I have a peace that can't be un understood by anybody. Uh, patience. I hope I have kind. Well, I, we, we don't want to talk about patience too much. I said to my daughter one time, I said, don't, don't you think I have lots of patience? And she chuckled. <laughs> she didn't even answer. <laughs> I thought I had lots of patience, but the kindness, you know, I, I know that it's changed in my life, the goodness, the faithfulness, the gentleness, the self-control. And I know for certain, you know, because of you, because of my relationship with Phyllis Ann and my family, I have a joy that the world can't even begin to touch. Amen? That's what being in the zone is all about, abiding in Christ. So we'll become more productive, but we'll also become selective. Look at them, verses 1 and 2 with me. Um, the Father is the gardener. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it. He prunes it even though it's there and it may, so that it may bear more fruit. We, he wants us to bear more fruit, so he prunes us that are with him. So don't think, don't think that um, things are going to go okay because we're still going to get pruned. And that's good. We, we need to understand that that's good. You know, when, when we moved to the parsonage, when we moved to the parsonage um, um, in the summer of 2019, um, there was a rose in the back, a rose in the back, and it was a great big monster, ugly-looking thing that was dying. It had one, one wilty flower on it. Do you all remember that that was there? Uh, and and um, so <laughs> come fall, that thing was uglier than ever. And I said to Phyllis Ann, I said, okay, I'll just dig this thing out and we'll plant a new one. And I thought that was a good idea. And she starts going, no, 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 no. You've got to hear her. When, when you get around her sometimes, she starts saying no. She started to say, no, 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 no. And then she went like that. And I thought, oh, okay, we're not digging it out. The no, no, no didn't mean anything, but this did. When she does that, you can change the subject because it's all over with. She said, no, 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 no. Don't dig it out. So I didn't dig it out, and she said, I'll take care of that rose, and it'll be okay. So the next, next year in March, she cut that thing down to nothing. I mean, I looked at it, I looked at it, and I said, you killed it. I said, I might as well dig it out. It was just little spikes sticking up out of the ground, you know, just... Uh, they were about that... They were nothing. Last summer, that thing had the prettiest roses... And it bloomed all over the place, and it grew up to be as taller than the one before. And, 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 um, and I said, boy, I'm glad I didn't dig that out. <laughs> she said, yeah. So you know what happened this year? She didn't do it in February. She did it in March. She went out there and cut that thing back to nothing. I said, oh, gosh, she did it this time. I didn't say anything because I didn't want to, you know, make the same mistake. The bugger's growing. It's growing like crazy, you know, and it's going to have roses on it pretty soon <laughs> if the weather would warm up. And I, I'm just thinking, that's what God is saying. Life is nothing but a bunch of times we need to be pruned, isn't it? That if we want to, if we really, you and I, if we want to be more productive and, and um, make the right choices in our lives, we need to abide in Him. Oh, even more than we think we do. We need to grab a hold of him. 
and, and trust me when I say this, I know that rose bush. You know what that rose bush was saying every time? I mean, she cut off some big things like that. Every time she cut them off, that rose bush is going, ah! <laughs> Don't you think? That rose bush is saying, she's killing me. And I, I could see it when she came out of March and they, she had those things in her hand. That rose bush is going, oh no, here she comes again. That's what we do with God, isn't it? Every time God starts pruning us and saying, I want you to go do this, do that. Oh, no, golly, nets don't make me do that. Pruning happened the one time with Phyllis Sam when we were in an emergency room in Tempkin Mercy. And this woman walked in, and, and I'm sitting there praying for her because I could see she was distraught, and, and um, not physically, but mentally, and I could see that she needed somebody to talk to her. So God said to me, tell Phyllis to go talk to her. So I reached over and said, hey, honey, go talk to that woman. And the heat in that room went up like 10 degrees right away. I mean, she got hotter than you could ever imagine. And, and I thought, oh, oh, he's pruning. And she went over and sat down beside her, and the woman said, I don't want to talk. And she said, okay, I'll just sit here. And before it was all over, they had a great time in the Lord. You know what I mean? He's pruning us all the time. He's pruning the times when we get to wasting our time. And this is one of the things that I, I think I put down this because it's me. I, we waste so much time sometimes doing things. We, we think we have to do everything. And we, we shortcut people that God has in place to do that thing um, because we're doing it halfways. We're doing it halfways when somebody else could do it all the way. And we're afraid to stop doing it because we think nobody will do it unless I'm doing it. And I've been saying to everybody here lately, it's just been on my heart, we need to quit doing the things we're not good at just because we think nobody else will do it. And we've got to start doing more of the things that we're good at that God has pruned us to do and start doing those things and not wasting time um, in our activities. I think also that he prunes us in... Um, in um, our sins. Not only wasting time, but when, once we get in this relationship where we're with Christ and we, we sense that we're, we're being used by him, I think what happens is it, just naturally we know that those um, suckers don't come out anymore. You know, because every time a sucker comes out, somebody prunes it off. You know what I mean? And that's what God does. Every time we do something stupid, he prunes that off. You know, there's something that we knew we shouldn't have done. He says, no, that, that's not what I want you to do. Quit doing that. And he brings that up to us, and then he gives us the choice to quit doing it, and that's, that's the pruning. If you're thinking of anything in this verse, in this, in this thought of being selective, it's on verse 5. Apart from me. Apart from me. Understand that. Apart from we, me, he says, we can do nothing. And our problem is we try to do these things on our own. And we need to understand that God doesn't want us to do that. He wants us to be part of the, the vine. Amen? Um, be more productive, more selective, and then, then the last one is we can become, uh, as we get into the zone, we can become more effective. Listen to it in verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can ask anything. You can ask anything. Do you hear that? And it, it'll be taken care of. Now many of us 
especially pastors and Bible, Bible professors, people who are wanting us to understand God's word, will take that text right there and say, well, let me tell you what he means. And then we will twist around what he means and make it less powerful. Well, let me tell you what he means there. Listen to, what, l- listen to it. This is what he says here. If you abide in me, if I remain in you, if I'm there, in, if, if I'm in every action of your life, he says, anything that you ask, I will hear and take care of it. That's exactly what he said, isn't it? There's no twisting it around. If we abide in Christ, if we abide in Christ, he says to us, we will be more effective in everything that we do, especially in our prayer time. I, I'm crazy. I'm nuts. I think every time I ask God to do something, he's ready and willing to do it. I believe that with all of my heart, not because of who I am, but because of who he is. Amen? I'm telling you, it becomes one of those things where we have to trust him. Uh, I'm writing a paper. I'm writing a paper right now, and the, the scripture that I'm trying to, to defend is, is um, Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There's now no condemnation. And then the one on, um, in chapter 8, um, the one where he says, all things work together for good. And my thesis is, if we don't believe that stuff, why do we say it? Why do we say it? I believe, I believe this pandemic has been great. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I believe it's been great because it's shown us so much. The main thing I think that it's shown us, and this is what I'm defending, is that the church isn't in these four walls. Amen? You all with me? I'm going to tell you something. There's people that's never coming back to church. And that's okay. You know why? They're going to celebrate and worship at home. And we're going to say, oh, they should be here at church. Yeah, that's the way we used to do it. Holy cow. You know, isn't that the truth? We need to get back the way we used to do it. And somebody's sitting at home, somebody's sitting out there in that parking lot saying, oh, I hope they never turn that button off. (laughs) Amen? If you don't know who that is, I'll tell you, it's Charlie. Charlie said to me at least three times, when this is all over with, are we taking off the radio? And I said, no, Charlie, it's just pushing a button. Praise God. Charlie came in this morning, put his offering in the plate, and said hi to all of his friends, and said, I've got to get out to the car where I can hear. Praise God for the pandemic. Amen? You see? Now, did it produce a lot of ugly stuff? Yes, I'm not going over that. I'm, I'm going to talk about that too. But God says that it's all good. It's all good. He didn't say, no, gosh, you're going to have this pandemic. Just live through it. He didn't say that. I'll tell you, friends, when we abide in Christ and get to that point, you'll find something powerful that your desires, your thoughts, your wants are no longer those selfish things that you used to have. No longer are they that way. Now you want what God wants. And the miracle of this whole thing of answered prayer and things being good, it's not that. It's in the change, the miracles and the change in your heart that you come closer to God. Let me just say one more thing about this pandemic. All I hear, all I hear is from pastors 
a lot of my dear friends, is that they're beaten down, they're tired, they're exhausted, and literally they tell me they're doing less and less of what they did before because they're not visiting, they're not doing this. I tell you guys, I, I might be, I'm probably the dumbest not on the log, you know what I mean? This has been a great year. This has been a fantastic year. I, I think that, that we have grown spiritually. Um, and numbers-wise, we've grown. We've probably lost some that we don't know about, but, but we've grown numberly because we're growing spiritually. Lives have been touched because of these doggone cards. Amen? And these phone calls have changed who we are. I have, I, I am, I am blessed simply because of being here with you and being in ministry with you this past year. I'm not tired. I'm still ready to go. Let's keep doing it. Amen? All these things will change the moment that we get in the zone. The moment we abide with Christ and start trying to do that every moment of our lives, every day of our lives. If you want to be more productive, listen to it. More selective of what God uses you for and then become more effective in that. We need to live in the zone. We need to abide in Christ. Knowledge His presence in every aspect of our life. Amen. That changes us. Not how much we do, how much we come to church, not how much of all these external things. It's abiding. You abide in me and guess what? I'm going to abide in you. I want to get closer, he says. I want to get so close that when you look at me, you don't see Floyd. Amen? That's my goal in life. It'll probably happen when I die. <laughs> because I'll be right beside him. And, hey, gosh, that'll be good. Oh, praise God. Let's pray together. <laughs> God, help us today to hear your heart's cry for us to come and be alive in the vine. To be alive in the vine. Not just hanging there, rotting away. Help us never desire to be pruned off, thrown into the fire. If our heart's not right with you today, help us to change that. Help us to change that and decide right now that every aspect of our life, we're going to be that salty Christian and say, Oh, everything, every breath I take, every step I take, is going to be empowered by your grace. And I'm going to give you praise and honor for it. God, use us as our prayers as individuals and as a church today. Help us to hear you say, I'm the vine. And then help us. Help us, Lord God, to abide and to stay and remain with you and, and be willing to ask you to bless us. God, we pray these things in your son's name and for his glory. For his glory. And all of God's children. Amen. Amen. All right. Let's stand together. Sing this last hymn.